The word of the Lord from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his passion by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking of the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of all the earth. When he said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, And a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our gospel proclamation is from the passage that I just finished reading for you and serves as the basis of the theme for Ascension Day about the story and the fruit of the Ascension. Today's 2022 inaugural evening service begins our remembrance of a very special day in the church calendar, Ascension Day. It is concerned chiefly with the article of the Christian faith in which we confess that Jesus Christ, God's and Mary's Son, our Lord, ascended into heaven to sit at God's right hand. This festival is here for us to commemorate Jesus as our Lord and our Redeemer making sure we never forget it. But first, we must remember that Jesus' ascension is in no way our doing. Rather, it is that in which we believe. This prevents us from lifting ourselves in arrogance and self-righteousness, like we are so inclined to do. Oh, how many projects are we tempted to lay at the feet of pastors, church leaders, and beloved teachers as the reason why it succeeded. Ascension helps us to avoid such ridiculous notions that focus on human works and promote that which truly sustains faith in Christ. So our task here today is to make sure that we preach faith with grace. Because if we preach faith without grace, then we risk people resorting to their own works. And if we resort to works we will find that our works fail and lead us to despair. This is what St. Augustine, the early church father, discovered. When he preached the article of the forgiveness of sins and highly praised God's grace, the teaching 
that man is justified and saved by God's grace and mercy promised and effected through Christ, he discovered that the preaching thusly was fundamental to achieving true holiness for the people. Today, the same thing is happening to us. Because we preach faith in Christ, some come at us that we inhibit good works and that our preaching is sugar-coated, lax, and careless. Granted, there are many a pastor who do this very thing, and that is concerning. Luther even said, Actually, I once knew a person like that, now dead, who said, Even if I would wallow head over heels in sin, Grace is so great that my sins do me no harm. Many accept preaching of faith in this way, so much so that they think they can do anything they want. So, on both sides, things are not going right, neither to the right nor to the left. If one preaches about the comfort of faith, people become rude and malicious. But if one does not preach the comfort of faith, poor consciences are struck with fear and terror. To the right are apathy and security. To the left, nothing but idolatry. The situation thus never changes because of the errors of these two extremes. However, we must persist in preaching faith in Christ. We would much rather be accused of preaching Christ too sweetly than the brutal consequence of not preaching Christ at all. The problem isn't that too many people are overconfident in their faith today. The problem today is there is increasingly less faith than ever before. So we have our hands full with cheering and comforting those so far from Christ they can barely see him from where they are. Whilst the temptation may be to get down to brass tacks, get everyone to obey and conduct themselves accordingly for the success of the church and the expansion of the kingdom, the truth is we have not yet fully grasped the depth and breadth of God's forgiveness for us. We need to hear it again and have our hearts comforted rather than terrified by our sins. Now, this Ascension Day sermon is by no means preached for the sake of the Lord Christ. It is indeed a sermon about faith, about the power of the fruit of Christ's Ascension, for our comfort and well-being. Therefore, on this holy day, we should learn both the story and the fruit of Christ's Ascension. In our Acts of the Apostles lesson, appointed for Ascension, St. Luke lays out very clearly how Christ gathered his disciples and then told them how to proceed. Then after he is finished, he visibly ascends into the clouds and out of their sight. One might consider at this moment, what good is that to me? Christ leaves and goes to heaven and I remain here? Concerning that reality, Luther says, True, it is that if this were all the story and nothing more, then it would be of no use to me. 
However, the disciples, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, show us why and for what purpose Christ ascended as he did. Ephesians 4 says, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens, that he might fulfill all things. When King David prophesied, Thou hast ascended on high, he prophesies about our eternal King Jesus. That is the reason why he wants to state that Christ would ascend on high, to take possession of and establish his new and everlasting kingdom. Christ's kingdom is clearly and properly distinguished from all other kingdoms on earth. The Russian, Chinese, or even American kingdoms are but temporal kingdoms and compare little to the eternal kingdom that Jesus has established by ascending on high. Psalm 45 says, Thy throne, O God, is forever. Long ago, the prophet King David saw in spirit that Christ would be such a king and occupy his kingdom above and beyond the clouds in heaven. Before God, all is clear and manifest, even if it is nearly impossible for us to understand. In the resurrection of the dead, all will be revealed. Where we cannot understand now, we will see by faith on that faithful day when Christ comes to seal his kingdom forever. Do you want to know why Christ ascended? He ascended on high in order to lead captivity captive. The words are concise, but in these few words he comprehends heaven and earth and all that is in them. He has led captivity captive. How magnificently, majestically this is said. He has ascended on high and sits above in heaven in order to imprison the prisons and chain up the stocks. Even though we do not see this now, we do hear it proclaimed. But what precisely is he saying with these words, Thou hast led captivity captive? Christ ascended in order to set free and release the captives, for this is what taking captivity captive means. Retaining the prophet's language, we must be careful not to say he ascended on high to release the captives, even though this is what it means. Rather, we say, you have held captivity in captivity, death in death, sin in sin, hell in hell, meaning you have led the captivity, as God calls it, captive in his everlasting kingdom, which is a kingdom of faith. What sort of captivity is this? His, that is Jesus' concern, is with everlasting captivity before God. Sin, death, devil, and hell had taken us captive, but Christ has in turn taken them captive. He has seized and taken captive those that had taken us captive. This is his kingdom and office in heaven. 
He takes captivity captive, intercepts my hangman, interdicts my sin, exterminates my death, damns my hell. Sin that is unfettered is aggressive and free roving. It becomes my master and takes me captive, not only terrifying and depressing me, but also driving me from one act of idolatry to the next. It is when I become an undisciplined and coarse scoundrel that sin is my master and holds me captive so that I do what it wants. And when we are captive to it, we willingly do what it wants. Murder, rob, steal, becomes incendiaries and adulterers. Or we allow sin to drive us to greater transgressions against the first table of God's law. Christ's power and might over sin are now given to those who believe in him. Romans 6 says, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Christ has bound sin so that it can no longer harm the believer, nor force them to disobey God or terrify him. And even though it does, believers have so much help and comfort that they are able to prevail over sin. However, on Judgment Day, sin will have its head chopped off and be put to death completely. In the meantime, sin is confined to prison, bound like a thief with the hangman's rope. What sin has done to us, that Christ has done to it, as it has imprisoned, driven, plagued, and accused us before God's judgment seat, Christ has done to it, so that it cannot exercise its dominion over us any longer. However, if sin is to be taken captive, then I, who believe in Christ, must fight against sin and say, Do you hear me, sin? You who want to provoke me to anger and envy and commit adultery, steal, be unfaithful, and so on, I must say, No way, sin, because you are now my slave, and I, because of Christ, am your master. By his ascension and preaching of faith, Christian doctrine teaches you have been released from captivity, not so that you may do what you please, but in order no longer to serve sin. Accordingly, Christian teaching does not allow you to believe in Christ and at the same time persist in sin. By his ascension into heaven, Christ wants to work this in us from above. Romans 15 says, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Let us suffice now concerning Christ's ascension and kingdom. The power of faith is it strives against sin. And though sin still ensnares us, and though sin still ensnares us, we cling to the King, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has taken captivity captive and won for us the victory. To this same everlasting King, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, 
Be praise and thanks forever. Amen.